All right. Let's grab our seats, please. Grab our seats. And um, again, we welcome you back. I, I, I stopped the stream, so if any of you had people watching on Facebook, uh, I'm sorry we stopped the stream. It was just so that I could break this up so that the message uh, could be a separate piece than the worship. So we should be live on Facebook again. Again, we'll get this up uh, probably by tomorrow, if not Tuesday, folks. I'll get this uh, message downloaded from Facebook and onto our Rumble page for those who want to watch it on Rumble. And we moved the TV, so I'm hoping it's a little better with the chandelier. So hopefully that will help a little bit there with that. Uh, I also forgot to mention, ask for prayer. Tomorrow, would you guys pray for our homeschool co-op? Tomorrow's our first day. We're starting up again, so we're very excited. And the Lord has provided. And, uh, you know, we were so blessed to be at Patriot Church with our homeschool co-op. And that was a wonderful blessing. And as the school is growing there, right, they had more demand for their building. So it was getting more difficult for them to host us on Mondays. Uh, because of the demand they needed for their building. And so the Lord has provided another church in the North City there. And we're very excited for the partnership that is there. So just pray for that, that tomorrow the Lord will bless those families and those kids. And uh, we're excited. We've grown by about, uh, I think, 15, 20% uh, this, this, this year. And this location then allows us the room to kind of grow back to our numbers before we were sabotaged, if you guys know the backstory. Um, and to, to, to uh, add some more, uh, it's got uh, uh, a kitchen and, you know, we're just bringing back some classes and things like that. So anyway, uh, we'll be there tomorrow for that before uh, later at PNET tomorrow night. Uh, let's pray for the word of God. Father, I thank you for tonight. We thank you for how you're moving. We thank you for just the, the again, I'm just so blessed by the fellowship. I just, I, I, I love these brothers and sisters, Lord. I'm just so grateful that our family could be in the midst of this community, that, Lord, we've found one another through the way you've led uh, by, through Patriot Network, through Patriot Church, now here. Lord, I just thank you for this community. And it's a kingdom community. And also, again, for Harvest Church and Pastor Jason, Lord, just, it's amazing how you're knitting together a remnant of your people in these last days. I just pray tonight for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, all for your glory, that you would anoint this message in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not for me, Lord, but for your sake, for the sake of your word, for the sake of your truth. Uh, All for your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so we are kicking back up. We're picking back up. Kicking, that's not the right word. We're picking back up in our study of the book of Revelation. Uh, we're going to be in starting in chapter two. We made it through a whole chapter. Praise God. One chapter. Now, uh, that means that uh, if it took me two weeks to get through uh, one chapter. Uh, so in theory, if there's 22 chapters, that should take us about you know, most of the year. Uh, but, we're, but there's going to be parts of it. We're going to go slower because uh, as it gets more complicated, uh, we're going to go slower and, and really dig in deeper. But tonight we're starting talking about the seven churches. And of course, as you know, just again, very quick review, the book of Revelation is about prophecy, right? And the word revelation is not a scary word. It's just from that Greek word, apocalypto, which means unveiling. So this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, right? That's the title of the book. 
the, the, the revelation or the apocalypto of Jesus Christ. This is revealing who Christ is, who the Lamb of God is, who the Lion of the tribe of Judah is, and revealing his end time plans. Chapter two and three, dealing with the church, isn't obviously just dealing with end times. It's dealing with actual churches that existed during the time of the writing of John. Remember we looked two weeks ago when he was in Patmos, the Isle of uh, the island of Patmos. He was, he was exiled there with other criminals. It was basically a, 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 a penal colony. Is that the right word? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's was, was kind of the, the, the um, was a place that they were sent. And if you remember, I said they, they had a hard time surviving because they were left on their own. They were guarded, but they weren't necessarily provided for. Unlike our prisons today where, you know, um, there's all these opportunities. Not that it's good to be in prison, obviously. But uh, we are dealing with the end times and the end time church. And I want to go back and just remind you that the book of Revelation says that it's good to read it. And it's good to hear it. And it's good to keep it. That's good, right? Those are three good things. Read this book. Hear the words of this book. And keep the things which are written. For the time is near. So would you agree the time is near? Yep. Right? Every generation. But the time is near. And remember I, I was sharing with you that so many churches now dismiss Bible prophecy. And they do it to their own detriment because it blinds them. If Christians decide that Bible prophecy either doesn't matter or it's in the past, then we're actually blinding ourselves. And we have no idea what's going on in the world. And so we then that leads us to dissociate. Because remember, we're not of the world. Right? But we're still in it. We're not supposed to be dissociated. Otherwise, we'd all go and buy some property, right? We all go get a compound somewhere out in the backwoods of East Tennessee, right? Up in the mountains. And we all live in a, in a commune together. And we just disassociate ourselves. And uh, we, we just call each other funny names. And, 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 you know, we can become a cult. We are in the world. But we're not of it. And to be in the world is to understand the events of the world. They matter because it's proving that God's word is true. Amen? You can rest on it. And that's good news. So tonight we're going to start our study of the seven churches. This is chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. We'll see how far. We're going to get through the first church tonight, Lord willing. And we're, we're going to go at a pace that the Lord leads. And I want to do a quick review for you of the reference last time, two weeks ago, to this imagery of the Son of Man. Remember, we went through that whole terminology, the prophetic word, you know, phraseology of Son of Man. And we get this incredible image that is in uh, starting in. This is just, again, quick review in verse nine. Right. But specifically, it says. This is in verse, um, starting in verse 13. And in the midst of the seven lampstands. So John's seeing a vision of these seven lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like the flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. 
He had in his right hand uh, seven stars, right? And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Wow. Who can look at the sun? How long can you look at the sun before you go blind? Not very long, right? So now just imagine that imagery of looking upon the Son of Man. The imagery. Can I ask you a question? Does this communicate authority or not? So this is communicating absolute authority. Like you said, John, just a smidge. This is communicating that he who stands in the middle of these seven golden lampstands, which we established two weeks ago, is the seven churches. And we established, we'll look at it just in a minute, the seven stars are the seven angels or messengers. This, the one who is standing in the midst, has all authority. Now, that's a message that they need to be preaching at some pastor's conferences. So when these pastors go together and sit in these conferences and they powwow together and they talk about how big my church is or how big your church is or my ministry, ministry, they need to remember that it's not their ministry. That it belongs to the true shepherd, to the king. That there's a head to the church. Maybe if we remember that as a church and as Christians, we would be walking in much more humility as the bride of Christ. Now, again, this is the review, right? The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand. This is later in verse 20, right? And now we're going to just in a minute, we'll jump into uh, to chapter two. This is review. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angelos. Now, remember we said that this is very unlikely that this is talking about actual angels. Because then in chapter two, Jesus is going to write says John that this letter is written to the angel of... So why would God be needing to communicate the message that's in the letter to the angel? Right? So this this word, angelos, could mean, as you see on the screen, a representative, a messenger, a delegate. So more than likely, it is talking about the better translation, in my opinion, is talking about the overseer of the church. It's a message to the head or the overseer of the church. Remember, these were actual churches, even though we know that there's a lesson for us. Otherwise, if there wasn't a lesson for us, what I'm going to talk about tonight is just historical. It'd be, it'd be like, eh, blah. There'd be no value for us if it didn't bring a message to our lives. Because it's very, very relevant. In fact, of all of the messages to the churches that I uh, very much shake at. I very much tremble at. It's this first church. It's this first warning. Because you're going to see that it's a mixed message. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Meaning there is both commendation and then a rebuke. Right? It's both. So now have we established Jesus is the Son of Man. Right? He is in the center. The lampstands are these seven churches and the seven stars are the messengers or the delegates or the overseers. Uh, Now, are there angels involved in this process? Probably. Are there angels overseeing? Probably. But that's the message. Now, here we are, the seven churches, the seven lampstands. And I mentioned to you again, just historically, this is all in modern day Turkey. 
So historically, where these churches were is in modern-day Turkey. And remember Patmos, it's off the screen here, but it's just a little bit that way off on an island close to Ephesus here. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Some refer to this as the loveless church. But really, my message for tonight is that it is a call for us as believers and the church to remember and if necessary, to return to your first love. That's really the message. I want to look at it as a positive and not just as a negative of, oh, it's the loveless church. Because the scripture doesn't actually say it's loveless. So I don't actually agree with the ways that, like even in the New King James, the little um, uh, title for that chapter is says the loveless church. But it really never says it's loveless it says that you've forsaken your first love. They have love, but it's not priority to them. So let's look at that. You ready? All right. So here we go. Verse one. To the angel again, same word there, angelos, right? We already established that. Of the church of Ephesus, write. So that's why, again, I don't believe that he's writing to an angel, a literal angel, because the angel would know the message. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So again, another affirmation of his authority over his church. I'm telling you, that's a message that's got to be preached today, particularly to the American churches, to the Western churches. And oh boy, I wish I could go back 2020 and preach this message over and over and over again to the churches in the West during COVID. When they acted like governor so-and-so or potentate so-and-so was the boss of the church, they should remember who holds the churches in his hand. Amen to that? So again, here's the imagery, right? Just to review one more time. Now we go to verse two. So now begins an amazing commendation. This is good. Right? You guys heard about the sandwich method? The sandwich method of feedback? The sandwich method, or some people call it the Oreo method. Right? So you start with positive. You say something positive. I'm still trying to learn this with my, with my children. You say something positive. Hey, hey, so-and-so. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Hey, son. Hey, daughter. I really appreciate you're doing this really well. This is really good. I'm really proud of you for this. But, right, there's a but. The but's coming. But you need to work on this. This is really, really important. You got to work on this. However, I'm really proud that you're doing this or this or, does that make sense? So some people call that the sandwich method, the Oreo method, I don't know, the falafel method, whatever method, what do you want to call it? Just the two things and put something in the middle of it, right? So you have your positives on the, on the outside and then you have your, your constructive criticism Your in, in, in the case of Revelation 2 and 3, really they're rebukes, right? I don't know how else to say it. Jesus is rebuking them. So I know your works, okay? Again, I'm just breaking some of the words down for you in the Greek, ergon, your deeds, your accomplishments. I know the things you have accomplished. I know the things that you're focusing on. Okay, that's good, right? And it's also a little scary because that means that Jesus is paying attention to what we do. 
So that is both good and scary. It's like, wow, he's actually watching me. Is that a good thing? I don't know. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Why? Why is that a good thing? Because God is our father. Amen? What does a good father do? What does a good shepherd do? Watches over the flock. You don't want him watching over you? What if he's not watching over you and you're about to walk off the cliff because you've lost your way? Aren't you glad that he watches over you? Amen? Aren't you glad that a good father would watch over his children? A good shepherd would watch over the sheep. So here the shepherd of the church is watching over his church. He knows what's happening in this church. Remember, it was a literal church in Ephesus. And this is, by the way, one of the earliest advances of the gospel, right? So, and I'll talk about it in a minute, what was happening in Ephesus, highly pagan, highly idol worship to false gods, particularly Artemis or Diana, right? This is Greek mythology. This is, this is pagan worship, correct? Idol worship. But this is one of the first places that the gospel has spread outside of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, correct? So they went outside, and now, right, Turkey is northwest of Israel, right, of modern-day Israel. So if you you look at a map, right, you're going to go up. And so this is the gospel has now spread uh, to these regions, and, and, and the church has grown, but now as it has grown, it is facing... Now, things coming into the church and into the believers' lives that are impure, that are pagan. We call this syncretism. What does syncretism mean? It means take something of the world and try to syncretize it to the gospel, to the Bible. You try to connect it. You try to make it fit. And it ain't fitting. It don't fit. It's not supposed to fit because we're supposed to be separate. Correct? We're in it. We're not of it. We're separate. So syncretism is, you know what? I can be a Christian and fill in the blank as far as paganism. So what is paganism? Anything that is worshiping an idol, anything that is worshiping a false god, a false idol, that is paganism, that is idolatry. And the moment you start syncretizing that, we get in trouble with our faith. Okay, so now I know your work, so he's watching. Your labor, look at this word kopto. I love the definition of this word. I know that you are getting hit hard for your faith, right? And it seriously has weakened you. Or it has maybe even debilitated you. So the Lord is saying, I know that you're, when it says you're laboring, it's like birth pains, right? Birth, it's the birth pains. You're laboring in pain. There's pain for your faith. How many of you know if you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be pain? This is not Western Christianity, but Western Christianity is not Christianity. The comfortable Christianity that we have in the West, and with all due respect here in the Bible Belt, This is not real Christianity that most Christians around the world are facing. Because we get this notion of my comfort zone. That's outside my comfort zone, right? And God would never take me outside my comfort zone. Uh, Patently false. God will intentionally take you outside your comfort zone. So that you can do what? Rely on Him. Rest on Him. 
So he says, I know that you are being hit hard and it's hurting you. And you'll see why in a minute. Your patience. I love this word. Two words. Hupomone. Hupo means to remain under. You're remaining under a place of endurance. It's easy to say, I give up. This is too hard. My faith is too hard. I don't want to remain under a place of persecution or uh, being hated or being ridiculed or being called out. But he's saying, I see your, your accomplishments. I see that you're being hit hard and I see that you are patient. You're, you're remaining in and under that place of endurance. You're choosing. Come on now. You're choosing. I mean, you don't got to choose to stay in that fight for the faith. Amen? And that you cannot bear those who are evil. Now, I love this because this relates to my heart. Like the, the, Our ministry, Truth and Love, right? That's the whole purpose of this ministry is to expose the works of darkness, speaking the truth in love so that we as believers are not easily tossed about Easily dissuaded and, and convinced of false doctrine and false teaching and scheming and trickery and deceitful men and women. So this really resonates with me that I cannot bear those who are evil. Can you? Right? Like if, if the Holy Spirit's in you and you're around someone who's being evil, you shouldn't. By the way, the, the word bear there in, in the Greek, where to go right here? is the same word as we would get the English word tolerate. So how many of you, we hear in Christianity today, we have to be tolerant. Christians should be more tolerant, more loving. Tolerant of what? Evil? So you're asking me to be more tolerant of evil? Jesus is commending the church in Ephesus. You are not tolerant of evil. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You've endured. You've remained under persecution, under being hated. By the way, how do you know if you oppose evil, you're going to be hated? The moment you oppose any evil in your life or around you, you're going to be hated and mocked and ridiculed. And now watch this. Here's why they're further getting hit. And you have tested. You've made them prove those who come to you saying they're apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. So because you had the real apostles, right? Like Paul going around and birthing, right? They birthed the gospel. They, they planted the seeds, right? And then the, and then the Holy Spirit waters it and then they have a burden for the church. Right? That's what apostolic means, right? An apostle doesn't mean one who says, I am the apostle. Obey me. An apostle is someone who has the heart, right? An apostolic heart. It's really a, a oversight shepherd. It, instead of being a local shepherd, you're a shepherd over the church a, a, as a whole. That's really what apostolic means. The two things that the apostles did, they helped start new, new works, by taking the gospel and overseeing the work of then now establishing a church, establishing the body of Christ. And when I say church, I don't mean denominational, I mean any of that nonsense. I'm talking about the body of Christ. And the, that's number one. And the second thing they did was to oversee it to make sure it didn't go awry. 
That's the apostolic heart. So people were showing up declaring, now, I have personal experience in this. Because a number of years ago, 2014, we moved from eastern Washington, I'm sorry, from western Washington to eastern Washington. I was not there a month. And we had a guy run for governor before, and so we had a, a group of believers that we had connected to. So when we went to Spokane, we immediately got, had provided an amazing team, several, about seven or eight families that were solid part of our church. So we started our church for meeting now, and not a month in, two gentlemen show up to our church. They come into the building, and they introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Apostle so-and-so, and I'm Apostle so-and-so. And you have come into our territory. Wow. Right? So my little antennas immediately went. <laughs> and we just have come here to welcome you and to give you our blessing. I was like, wow, I didn't realize I needed your blessing to obey what God was calling me to do. So we talked for a little bit and then they wanted to meet with me and they even were trying to prophesy over me. We see this in you and we see. And so they would say some things that were partially or, you know, 50% true and then say things that were out of nowhere. And they wanted to be able to have a bigger say. So the first question I asked to them was, um, who declared you to be an apostle? And who are you accountable to? And they said, well, to one another. And I said, isn't that convenient? You're accountable to one another and you're both declaring yourself to be apostles and you're both declaring that this is your territory. So I said, okay, if you're claiming to be apostles and you believe in, and I believe the enemy had, side note, the enemy had brought them in because they knew me that because I had been known because of having, having run for governor and so forth and so on. So they come in and they really wanted to co-opt our church. So I said, listen, if you are who you say you are, then the Bible says we should test apostles. So will you submit yourself by remaining in this body, remaining under the leadership of this body, which was myself, and then we had already established a couple other uh, gentlemen who were, who were uh, uh, deacons, and, and we, had, we already, I had already had an elder who was my spiritual father, who still is one of our elders over the ministry of truth and love. And I said, so... Will you submit yourself and be tested? They said, okay. So they stayed in for a few weeks. Well, during that time, I would be, I was traveling. So, you know, every four or five weeks I was gone. And every time I'd gone, I'd come back. And the men in our church would tell us that the weeks that I was gone, these guys would sit there and grumble and complain to people about me and about you know that I, I'm not he's not really called to be this, or he's not really be called to be that. So it's interesting that they wouldn't do that when I was there. But the moment I left and I'm out of town, they would use that opportunity. So after a number of months, no, maybe not a number of months, maybe two months, two, two and a half months, um, we got together with our church body without them. And I said, I just asked the question. So listen, you, we've observed these, these two men for a period of time. What do you think? What's your sense? And every single person to a T said, we believe they are false. They are not apostles. They are liars. So we went and I met with them. And before that, they were all calm and they were, you know, we, we just want to be constructive. It's just constructive criticism about you. And when we told them that, well, 
We did what the Bible says. You came claiming claim to be apostles. We tested you and we believe that you've been found lacking and you're not apostles because nobody can verify your calling. You're not submitted to anybody. Nobody uh, prayed for you to, 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 to nobody, nobody can verify that you got this calling because obviously the only way that someone can be an apostle is be called by God. How many of you guys know the apostolic uh, um, office can only be from God? Today, we have it in denominations where people can say, well, we are deeming people apostles. I disagree with that. I don't think scripture supports any aspect of apostleship unless it's from God. And remember, I've said it again. I'll say it one more time. This is not talking about big A apostle like those who receive scripture. We have those, by the way, today. If you follow New Age, uh, New Kingdom theology, if you follow what's called Kingdom Now theology, you have or what's called the Apostolic Reformation uh, the New Apostolic Reformation Movement. Unfortunately, within that movement, there are those who claim that God is giving them new revelation. So there are no big big A apostles anymore. I believe those have ceased because the big A apostles put together the Bible, the New Testament. But there is an apostolic office. I believe, as I said two couple weeks ago, we believe in the five-fold ministry of the church. Apostle, prophet, uh, 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 pastor, Teacher, evangelist. And when we told them this, they went, ap- what's that word? Apoplectic. Oh, Thank you. They went crazy. <laughs> they went off. And that revealed who they were. So Jesus is commending this church. Look at all the things you're doing. None of these are bad. They're all good. And you're working hard and you're paying the price and you're being hated and you're resisting evil. And by the way, as I mentioned, the situation that was going on is remember, this is total pagan worship surrounding. Here is Acts chapter 19 that is giving an example because the apostles were coming against in Ephesus, the, the idols, the false idols. Guess what happens in a community when you go up against the idols of that community? So here's a question for us that we should be praying as the body of Christ in East Tennessee. What are the idols of East Tennessee? What are the idols of this region? And I don't mean uh, just abortion or the trans movement or drag queens, but could we agree that maybe the religious spirit is an idol here? We have a religious spirit that's an idol here. Everybody thinks they're a Christian. Everybody thinks that they've gone, you know, because they go to church... We have to be able to say, listen, Lord, please purify your bride and show us who's who. Because here's what's going on. These are the people in Ephesus that are complaining about the apostles coming in like Paul because they're saying, listen, and this one individual is giving a speech in front of the people of the city. So not only is the trade of ours in danger because the apostles are coming in and saying, you're worshiping false idols. You're worshiping false gods. We got to tell you about the one true God. Guess what? Opposition. So he says, not only is the trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So they had dedicated this city to Artemis, Diana, and the pagan gods. 
This was a demonic stronghold there. So you're coming up against a demonic stronghold. And the demonic stronghold, please listen to this. The demonic stronghold, if it sees, if Satan sees that you, us, as the church, is not going to compromise. Because remember, they're not compromising, right? This church, Jesus is commending them on you are for the truth. And that should be for every one of us as believers. Amen? That's the way we should live our lives. Lord, I will not tolerate evil. I will not tolerate lying. I do not want to have anything to do with that. I want to be of good works. I want to labor for you. I want to take hits for you. I'm willing to take hits for you. I'm willing to to endure all those things that Jesus said. So you see, when Satan sees that spirit, please listen. If anything tonight, this is prophetic what I'm about to say. I sense in the spirit. When Satan senses that you're not going to compromise, what he brings is then a religious spirit. Because there's either a compromising spirit, which by the way, we're going to see later in the churches, right? You're going to see the compromising churches. That's coming. But this is not a compromising church, right? This is not a compromising church, even though they're in the midst of paganism in their city. So now, if Satan can't get you by compromising, he wants to get us by entrapping us in a religious spirit, legalism, dead religion, which is a lot of what I see here in Tennessee. So now, you have persevered, again, remember that word, hupomone, and have patience. This word, bastazo, is that same as, remember when Jesus says, you do not tolerate, bear, you, you, you do not, you cannot bear evil. You cannot tolerate evil. Same word there, right? So you're, it's the same word here, meaning you are actually bearing in patience. You, you are not going to tolerate evil. And have again labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Okay, that's all good. Amen? Can, can we agree? That's why I'm saying that the fact that the only thing about this church is you're the loveless church is really a disservice to what the Lord said. He just spent all that time commending them. Amen? He just spent all that time. And I believe, and, and listen, please hear me. How many of you would, would, would like to get this commendation from the Lord? Absolutely. Amen? I, Lord, I'd be honored if you would speak those words over us, over this ministry, over the body of Christ here. But, you ready for the but? Now we got to get to the but. Nevertheless, but, after everything I've said, I have this against you. Now, this against is an interesting word because it means that, again, remember, he's watching, correct? So he's watching. And as they have endured this evil that's coming at them, false apostles coming in, there's also other things that you'll see just in a minute. They, they're enduring the paganism of their, of their, of their society and they're, they're weathering it and they're not growing weary. Praise God. Something else is happening. That's what I'm saying. We've got to be on guard for that. And this is a prayer that I have often in my own life and in my own family and in our ministry. Because Lord, I am so zealous for the truth. That's why we're called truth and love. 
But Lord, if I forget the love part, I'm in trouble. Amen. I am so zealous for the truth. Truth all the way. But if we forget truth in love, just as those who say, I'm all about love. But if you forget truth, woe to you. Woe to us. Nevertheless, he's saying, because I'm watching you, I'm watching something that's very concerning. You have left your first love. Now, it doesn't say you're loveless, does it? Does it? No, it says you've left. Now, look at the word there, ephemi. This is the same root word as the word ephestemi, which is where we get the word apostasy. So Jesus is warning them because, now how, you go, how can they be apostate if they're in the truth, right? They're, they're standing for truth because you can be apostate in truth and you can be apostate in love. So you can be absolutely 100%. I see pastors here in East Tennessee all about the truth and no grace. Total religious spirit. And, I, and I've probably been guilty of that. Uh, please hear me. Hear my heart. I'm not raising my hand as if I'm above that. I'm saying I, I, I've probably been guilty of that. Because we can get to the point where we get so focused on battle and the battle is real, right? The battle for them is real. That we can also fall, because remember the word aphestomy simply means falling away. That's all it means, right? The word apostasy can bring with it a real negative connotation, but it really just means what? You're falling away. So Jesus is warning them, I'm watching you and you're beginning to fall away from your first love. Who is the first love? Why? He's asking them. Why are you standing for these things? Why are you standing up against the false apostates or, or the false uh, apostles? Why are you standing up against the things you're... Because it was for your first love. But now you've forgotten that. It is not that they're without love. It is that their focus has shifted away from their first love. And they're more worried about just being right and not focusing on the source of that. Now notice here, it says here, it's interesting, away from your, right, so you're falling away, but it's interesting, it's saying, away from your send or call. So there's a call on this church. Amen? They're called to be in their city. They're called to stand. And Jesus just commended them. I recognize your call. Look what you're doing. Good, 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 good. However, you're, you're moving away from your call because if you stand and you're not doing it in love, then please hear me. You know me. I am not one to sit up here and give you a fluffy, I hope so. Have you ever heard me give you a fluffy message? But this is serious. From your first, it's not that they're without love, it's that they're forsaking their first. It's priority. It's priority. 
A church can be really active in the community. A church can be really active helping the homeless. A church can be really active fighting even social ills. And I'm all for that. But if we as believers forget that our first priority is to love Him. Remember the whole thing that I've harped on for months now and years. All about, oh, the second commandment, the second commandment, the second commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor. I've heard that on verbatim. I'm about to vomit how many times I hear that from the church. It's all about loving one another. Thank you, Mr. Stanley. But your first priority is to love him. Amen? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that's our first priority. He never said you're without love. He said you're falling away from your first love. Big difference. If I fall in love with my wife 25 years ago, 25 years later, I don't want to say, hey, babe, we're married. We're good to go. Okay, we got our commitment. You know, the rings. Um, you're committed to me. I'm committed to you. I'm, I got, I'm going out, making a living. We've got our kids. We're good to go. And uh, that's it. And then she says, do you love me? Well, I told you once last year. Right? First day of the year, I told you, I love you. That's for the rest of the year. We'll talk next year on January 1st. How well would that go for me? Not well. The ladies in the room are all shaking their heads at me like you're going to be in huge trouble. Because I don't want to forget my first love. Doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. It means I have to go back to remembering why we are together. It is not just because of a commitment that's important. That's huge. But if I just treat the commitment and I forsake the love, true love. By the way, you see this word here? You see this word? Doesn't say philia, which is emotional, snuggly. I'm all about hugs and snuggles. I love snuggles. Ask my children. Ask my children. Well, not the older ones because they won't hug me anymore. Well, actually, the 15-year-old does. The 15, he just raised his hand back. They're like, what are you talking about, Dad? The 15-year-old does. 18-year-old now doesn't even hug me anymore. He's too old for that, right? See? This way, oh, I see. I, I'm getting the sympathy now. Thank you. That was my sympathy time. <laughs> They're all back. They're shaking their heads at me. No, the 15-year-old actually, he, like, he loves hugging too. still loves hugging. But my kids know that, that. Can I ask a question to my children? Am I a hugger or not? Yeah, I'm a hugger. I'm a snuggler. I love to snuggle. You had, you had a two and one. Two and one? Somebody, one of them said no? Oh, no. He said, the 10-year-old said no? Oh, he... No, that is not true. You, you speak the truth in love. <laughs> you just got rebuked in front of the church. Now you go around the corner and ask the girls and they'll tell you the truth. They'll tell you. But that's not what this love is. This is agape. And you see the definition. Love which centers on your moral preference or your moral choice. Meaning it's based upon a standard and not your feelings. So he's not saying you've lost your first feelings. Oh, gosh. No, it's your commitment to love. Okay, now watch this though. Watch this. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. So he's trying to tell them, bring them back. 
Remember how, where you were? Remember that you, you, were, you were a sinner saved by grace? We can get like that, can't we, sometimes? With that religious spirit. And I see it in this area where you got the pastors and the preachers, they're in your face. You know, we hear your hell, we're going to preach hell, fire, and brimstone, right? And, and okay, I, I get that. We need that. But at the same time, where is the grace? And then the other side, you see all the wimp wristed, limp wristed pastors that's all about grace, but there's no truth, there's no standards. There's no, so both are not good. We've got to have the balance. So remember how far you've fallen. The word there is to fall prostrate. Remember the awe. Remember the awe of, of, of the power. And, and, and that's why I think the imagery is so incredible, right? Where the imagery of John seeing. that. Remember, remember what he said in Revelation 1? I fell dead. I fell like a dead man at the feet. And then because he's encountering now the vision of the risen Lord, Jesus doesn't tell him to stand up. He's going to stay in that position of being prostrate. So remember, church believers, remember the position that we are to have of the Lord. Yes, he's our best friend, but he's also a holy and living and righteous God. Repent. Okay? So you want to talk about a rebuke? This is a clear rebuke. He's not saying, hey, by the way, this is a suggestion. He's saying, this is what I'm telling you. You must turn back to. You must. And, and, and the, uh, a lot of people say the word repent means to turn direction. But look at the word metaneo, to change your mind after being with the Lord. So metaneo, the word repent, you can't change direction. A lot of people say it means you're going this way. So you're going back towards the bad way and you're turning towards the right way. You can't change your direction until you first change your mind. So the word repent means first you got to change it up here. I'm making a choice to do it differently. His way, not my way. And that then does what? Changes your course. So return, change, repent, turn your mind back. And do the first works. Same thing, the word ergon. Or else, wow, here we go. I will come to you quickly, swiftly. It will be very quick when it gets to that point. And remove your lampstand from its place unless you metaneo repent. Is that a pretty serious warning? He's going to remove. He doesn't say this to any of the other six churches. And the seventh church is the lukewarm church that he's going to vomit from his mouth. So why would he say this to this church that is doing all these right things? Because that's how critical it is for him, for us to remember that our first calling is to love him. We are here, we exist for him, not for ourselves, not for the church, not for the kingdom even, but for him, and then the rest takes care of itself. Amen? Amen. And so this is serious. In fact, it was so serious that we can go back to history and tell you, sadly, that the church in Ephesus did not repent. Did not repent. Kept going. And then eventually, guess what? The religious spirit led it to compromise. And it fell into paganism. And the church in Ephesus died off. 
And today, these churches that were there are ruins. So the Lord actually did remove their lampstand because they did not repent. And I'm not talking about like modern Christians today in Ephesus. I'm talking about what happened back then. Because one way or another, the guile of Satan is if he can't get you through compromise, he'll get you through that religious spirit. And the religious spirit will lead to compromise. Maybe not compromise of what you think is the truth, but it will lead to a place where now all of a sudden you're going to create unnecessary division. For example, here in the South, you see this a lot where people are dividing over denominational lines rather than over scriptural lines. Oh, I'm not going to talk to you because you believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And so you're a heretic. I'm not going to talk to you. Well, okay, but I'm willing to talk to you. If you don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, that's okay. I believe they're for today. We, 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 we say this as in, we got to make sure we are together and united on the essentials. If you come to me and say, I believe that Jesus is not the only way of salvation, I'm going to tell you, I cannot fellowship with you. I'll be very clear. If you tell me that I think it's okay that God is okay with homosexual marriage, I'm going to tell you that's an unbiblical term. No such thing. The Bible exists. Never have. There's never been something called homosexual marriage. Uh, What Pastor Jason was teaching about last week, about the deceptions of these last days. If you come to me and you believe, believe that, again, in universalism, or, you know, I, 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 I believe in, in the supernatural things that, you know, there's aliens. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably tell you, well, uh, we really don't have much in common. Because, no, I, the Bible is very clear that it's either the spirit of God or it's an unclean spirit. So it's either God, the Holy Spirit, or there's Satan and, and demons that are fallen angels. Is that clear? Okay, there aren't, there aren't little green men But can the world be deceived by those things? Absolutely. We're right for it. So it's very important to understand how serious it is. Now, watch this. Because here in John 14, he reiterates this. Uh, this is a, a, a paraphrase. I got to go a little quicker here. A little while longer, Jesus says, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. And at that day, you will know that I am in the, my Father and you in me and I in you. He's talking about what day? What day do you think he's talking about? He's talking about the resurrection. See, because he says what? Because I live. Remember, he's preparing them. This is John chapter 14, right? Before he goes into John chapter 15 and the parable of the, uh, the vines, the pruning. Uh, he talks about then he, he has to go suffer. He's going and preparing a lot of places, right? A mansion. So he's preparing that. He says, but, but listen, I'm, I'm going to live. I'm going to be alive and you're going to be alive in me. So he's talking about the day of the resurrection. In that day, you know, I am in my father and you in me and I in you. He who has my what? Commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me. So Jesus is not differentiating between truth and love. He's not saying one or the other. He's saying both. You need to have my commandments. You need to pay church in Ephesus. I'm, I'm, I'm high-fiving you for doing what you ought to be doing in resisting the evil of your city. 
You're doing good. However, this is massively problematic because now you're not loving me. Make sense? So my commandments and loving me are both important. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So again, the calling is do not forsake your first love. Do not fall away. Do not forget that all of us were once fallen, right? But that does not mean, if, if I walk in that grace, it does not mean that now in me there's a spirit of compromise. Because it's not either or. Make sense? It's both. And then what did he say? But this you had, now, remember the sandwich method? The Oreo method? Now watch this. This you have. So again, he's saying something positive. Here's another high five. Because I mean, it's easy for them to be like, dang, he just royally rebuked us. We thought we were doing good. But we've forsaken our first love. We've fallen from our first love. The protos, chief love, primary love. He's, brothers and sisters in Christ, He's got to be your primary love. Amen? Amen? You cannot put another love before him. The love of my children cannot go before him. The love of my wife cannot go before him. The love of anything in this world. And have you noticed, we're now at 20 to 8 and I have not mentioned the Super Bowl. Aren't you proud of me? Well, I had to once, Jim, just one time. That's it. I won't say it again. I promise. End the story. <laughs> but I, I was using it as an illustration. That. <laughs> Thank you. But this you have, that you hate, hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which also I hate. What? Jesus hates things? No. Not Jesus. Jesus is warm and fuzzy and cuddly. He wouldn't hate anything. Right? He hates evil. And now briefly, there's a controversy about the Nicolaitans. Some believe that there was a guy named Nicholas that they were following and that his name in the Greek meant one who conquers. And so bottom line is this, is, this was a sect of people. Uh, some, some believe that this Nicholas guy was potentially a, a, a church elder, a church uh, you know, leadership, and that he began to uh, lead people back into um, idolatry, sexual immorality, and food worship, meaning uh, food sacrifice to idols. Because remember, within the pagan worship, for example, with Diana Artemis, right? Um, a lot of their, their, their uh, sacrifices were physical, whether, whether it, it was based on food. Uh, same thing in Islam, right? When I came out of the Muslim background in Islam, when you eat food, it has to be what's called halal. Halal isn't kosher, where it's about the way you prepare it. Halal is about the sacrifice. It's the way you sacrifice the animal and you have to bless it to that false god. So I've said this before. Next time you go to Costco, go to their meat section. 
Look, their lamb, every bit of their lamb is halal certified. So I always tell you, don't buy lamb from Costco. If you want to buy lamb, find a good local person to buy lamb because that is a religiously motivated or religiously sacrificed piece of meat. Because it's sacrificed to another God intentionally. That's the way the factories are. They're halal certified. They have to they have to say a prayer as they're killing the animal. So the Nicolaitans, some believe that's what they were doing, but not to obviously a false god, Allah, like Islam, but to their pagan gods. Some believe that this was a, a Greek word that meant, again, one that was about food or eating and eating to idols or eating to please idols. Either way, this is a practice that was pagan, right? And remember what I just said? The paganism was infiltrating the church and this church in Ephesus was resisting it. So Jesus says, good, you hate their practice. I also hate their practice because we do not, and Acts chapter 15 tells us that in the Jerusalem council, you do not eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. And don't tell me, well, I got power over it in the name of Jesus. It's not about the power. It's the fact that you're giving your mind room to say this thing is okay. No, it's not okay because if a meat has been sacrificed to a, god, a false god, there is an open door. It's not that I believe the meat has any power over you. It's that you're opening a door to a spirit. So Jesus says, good. So here is the Oreo method. He commends them. He then corrects them, calls them to metaneo, repent, change their mind, turn back to their first love, and then he commends them again. And then he says this. I love this final passage tonight. He who has an ear, how many of you have ears to hear tonight? Amen. Amen. He has an ear. No, no, by the way, no tickling ears. No tickling ears allowed here. We don't tickle ears. We may yank on them once in a while, okay? Let him hear the voice of what the Spirit is saying. Let him hear. I don't mean, I don't mean audibly, obviously. To the churches. To him who overcomes, and I'll get back to that word in a minute. I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What a promise. Church, what a promise. So let's go back to this word overcome. Nikeo. What does it mean? You see there. It's one who is conquering or who is finishing to the victory. You're gonna, you, your commitment is, I'm going to finish to the end. Amen. I'm going to run the race well. And I'm going to finish that race. I, because why? I'm more than a conqueror. How many of you know that if we're in Christ, death has no hold over me? Amen? Worst thing they can do is kill me, but it's just a sting. Death has no sting beyond its sting. Because in an instant, in a blink of an eye, I'm in the presence of the Lord. If I am redeemed. So I've overcome to victory. And then the promise is now. I mean, Jesus is not just rebuking this church. Jesus is encouraging them. Come back to your first love. That's why tonight I wanted to, to me, it's more appropriate to really call this a call back to your first love, not the loveless church. And what is he going to say? By the way, this is not literally eating. This is spiritually eating. 
what is the tree of life? What is the tree of life? Where is the tree of life? Amen. It's in the eternal garden of Eden. This is not, by the way, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Remember that which got them in trouble? This is the other tree that was in the garden. And it's the tree of eternal life. Because if you're in paradise of God, you're in where? Eternity. So the promise is that those who overcome are going to be rejoicing with him in eternity. You're going to be eternally eating of the tree that's going to give you what? Eternal life. Is anybody excited about that? Amen. One of the main reasons I became a Christian, left this long, was the guarantee of, of, of eternity, of salvation. Not just because I'm saved from hellfire, but because I get to be with my God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? What a promise. But we got to overcome. And the only way you're going to overcome is come back to your first love. This is such an example of that our will can never overcome. Right? You can say, I'm not going to ever compromise. I'm not going to. I am. Amen. I commend that. But if you're not retaining your first love and your motive, ultimately, I think the church of Ephesus comes down to motivation. The question is, what was their motivation for what they were doing? Was their motivation of doing the right thing because they loved the Lord so much that they wanted to obey his commands? Or was the motivation something else? Ha ha. And I think that the religious spirit here in our area, particularly, because remember, I came from Washington State. Washington State was always in a battle, a competition with Oregon as the most unchurched state in the country. We were always fighting over who, who, who's more godless. It's us. It's you. It's us. It's you. We come to East Tennessee, and, and this is, the again, the buckle of the Bible Belt. And yet, what do we see? A religious spirit. And I think the church of Ephesus would very much describe so many of the churches here in East Tennessee. I think Jesus would say to them, listen, I see your deeds, some of you, but you got to return back to your first love. And I think, again, how does this apply in closing for you and I? It's important for us to remain in the truth. Absolutely. But do it out of the motivation that you love him and you're doing it to please him. Amen. And here's the final passage tonight. I love this. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Amen? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So how many of you know in Christ we've already overcome the world? Amen? You've already overcome. Now you just got to walk it out. Right? You just got to walk it out. He who is, or, or who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Remember what the book of Revelation is about. Revealing, unveiling who he is, the son of man and the coming lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. So let's, would you mind standing with me tonight as we close in prayer? How many of you 
want to commit right now, and, and we're going to close in prayer. But my commitment is, Lord, I want to remain faithful to those things which you hate. Amen? To those things which you have declared to be evil. And I want to be for good. But I want to do it, Lord, out of my first love. Not out of some other motivation. Let me do it out of my first love. And so, Father, I just pray tonight over this message over your church because the message of the church of Ephesus, even though it was for a specific church back then, is still universal. It's a message for the church today to not be a church that has forsaken our first love and our main motivation, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, we love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I pray that's our choice. How many of you want to choose that? How many, how many of you choose that? Just raise your hands to the Lord. If, if that's your heart, Lord, I want to love you first. Amen? Amen? I want to love you before I love anything else. Amen. Lord, I, I don't want anything else to surpass, supersede, get in the way of my love for you. And agape, that moral choice. It is a choice based upon my moral preference that I know you are the son of God, that you are true, that you are the living God, that you are the second person of the Trinity, that you've come and you've uh, conquered death and victory and you're coming again to rule and reign. And Lord, you have given me eternal life in Christ Jesus. Lord, I want you to be my first love. And really, Lord, my eternal love. Because that's what this is. This is an eternal love. Father, if, if in any way, Lord, in any way, this is my prayer. And if, if you agree with this prayer, you can just pray it in your heart. Or, but Father, here's my prayer. Lord, this is my prayer. Lord, if in any way I have forsaken, or am I, if I'm falling away, Lord, from my first love, I heed the warning, Lord. I repent. I change my mind. I change my course. Lord, I want to come back to you as my first love and have the joy of my salvation. And so I just pray that for the body of Christ here in East Tennessee, around this nation and around the world. I pray for each brother and sister in Christ here in this room. That Lord, you would bring us back. Thank you, Lord, for the steadfastness and the faithfulness of your believers here. Lord, I know that these believers here, Lord, love truth. They love good. They hate what is evil. They despise what is evil. And they want to stand up against what is evil, as the church in Ephesus did. But Lord, help us to do it out of your and our first love. We truly choose to love you. And Father, I just pray right now that if is anybody listening to this message tonight or later when it airs or is uploaded, who, Father, does not know you, does not have that first love. They've never had it. They've never tasted it. They've never experienced it. They've never realized that the Bible says that for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son. They've never had that experience, Lord, as we have been privileged to have. I pray right now 
as they're listening to this message, that they would simply call on your name. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you are the savior of the world. I believe that you are the Messiah. And I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to surrender it all to you right now. I want to metaneo. I want to repent. I want to change my mind of my belief system in the things of the world or paganism or false religion or earth worship or climate change or liberalism or whatever it may be, Lord. Lord, I, I, I pray right now that they would just simply call on your name and repent. And now, Holy Spirit, I pray for all of us that you would come to fill those first time and Lord, fill again those anew again and again and again so that we are walking by the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, and we are walking according to your and our for our first love. We bless you. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen, amen. and amen. Amen? Amen. Is God good? Yes. So next week, a little bit of homework. We're going to be looking at verse 8 to 11, what some call the persecuted church, which is the church of Smyrna. So it'll be a very interesting contrast to now what we saw tonight. So please, if you can, read ahead. And we'll be talking about that next Sunday night in our study of the book of Revelation. Um, remember, Jesus is coming back soon. Yeah. So be ready every day. Amen. Look up every day. Don't lose heart any day uh, of this world. And remember what we read earlier from Psalm 113. He is a ruler over all the nations. All of their schemes and their plans, it's futility, right? It's evil, but it's futility. So thank you guys so much for coming tonight. Uh, love on somebody. Give someone again a high five. Anybody needs prayer, please, 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 please let somebody know. Let us know. Let somebody know so we can pray for you before we go. We pray for one another. Amen. We are the body of Christ. Let's lay on our hands and pray for one another. And so... Um, Go in his blessing. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Give him, yeah, give him.